Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. If you're a first-timer, welcome aboard. And if you are, go look into the extensive archives for just tons of interviews with Houston sports personalities, players, coaches, and media. And by the way, if you've been listening for a while and wondering why that voice who opens the show sounds so familiar, that's because it's Astros longtime PA announcer Bob Ford who does my little open. Great to have Bob uh, helping me out with that. And it's a, it's a Tuesday, and it's the Tuesday uh, being the last day of the Texans OTA. So I've brought in one of my favorite people who covers the Houston Texans. On the line is Chronicle Texans blogger and contributor Stephanie Stradley. And Steph, I believe this is your 14th year on the Texans beat. Do I got that right? 2006? Oh, my God. Has it been that long? I hadn't really thought about it. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, have you had a chance to to sneak into the new Texans cold room out at OTAs? <laughs> I have not. The cold room, uh, as, as some people do not know, is at one end of one of the practice fields. And it's basically a trailer that has a generator. And I guess it's a place that they can do things where it's cool right away. Uh, you know, they're not going to be in West Virginia like they have the last two years. And there's some good parts to that and some bad parts to that. Um, but, you know, I guess the bad part is trying to deal with that with having the cool room. Yeah, I want to ask you about the West Virginia and, and why it's back here in a little bit. But first of all, I, I just want to, want to give you a broad question out of the gate. And hopefully it just allows you to go in any direction you'd like to go. Who or what has caught your eye in OTA so far? Well, you know, really any kind of OTAs from year to year, there's only limited things that you can see. First of all, just to kind of make this a little meta, the media is not allowed to see all the OTA sessions. And even on the days where we come out, we're not allowed to see the entire time. Uh, and it's, as what O'Brien says, it's a it's a passing camp. So, you know, they're not wearing pads. Um and, and so you're focusing mostly on things that you can see that are not like actual football things, but, you know, a lot of drills and things like that. So usually the only things that you notice in OTAs uh, of the big picture variety is if somebody is really, really terrible, like just absolutely, why is that person out there? Or if somebody is really, really good. So like a J.J. Watt, like the very first day that you saw him, you knew that he was a special person. Um, you know, you, you saw the same thing with DeAndre Hopkins. Sometimes you can see improvement in players. And, and if I were to identify any player that stuck out to me as, as, a, as an improving player, it would be Jordan Thomas, the tight, tight end that they got last year. Uh, to, by my eye in, in the sessions that I've seen, he looks really comfortable out there. Like he looks like the part and um, what you want to see. And and to me, he, he really stood out. Yeah. Tight ends. Uh, that's a position maybe you could see because, you know, the Texans, they drafted two offensive linemen. We're interested to see what's going to happen with them. But in OTAs, you know, there's not uh, really padded blocking or any, you're not going to really see what they can do. Maybe it's hard to see what, what Alani Johnson can do at this point, but you mentioned Jordan Thomas, the guy that I'm, I've heard a little bit of buzz about and someone that I'm, I'm really excited about because uh, I talked to on the show a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, somebody that covered 
tight end Kahele Waring out at uh, San Diego State. And he was just, you know, couldn't praise the guy enough and uh, said he was so impressive. And, and it was in an offense that wasn't necessarily a, a big passing offense. So what he was able to do was really impressive to him. Have you seen anything from from Waring? Uh, you mentioned Jordan Thomas. I thought maybe Waring. How did he look compared to some of those guys, the the the, the rookies from last year, and Thomas and Akins? Well, I mean, he certainly looks the part. Like that's one of the things that you notice at OTAs. Like you know, when they come in the room for um, the press conferences, sometimes you just kind of get an eyeball view of think of of players without without you know them running around so you can see them kind of relative, you know, you can just see them in person and he looks the part like he, like if you were to, to, you know, create your own tight end, you might create one that looks just like him. And, you know, he's had some moments out there, including today. I mean, I think the biggest thing for him is, okay, how fast can he learn the offense? Because, you know, it's a lot of, it's, it's a lot on their plate. And, you know, as, as the coaches said today, uh, the the tight end position has a lot on their plate. Like they have to, they have to do all the the receiver skills, but obviously they have to block too. And and blocking is is going to be a big component of you know how much uh, a young player can play. Like you know, it doesn't matter how good he is at, at catching the ball if he can't do his assignments blocking. But I mean, he seems to be a very willing blocker. What's interesting with this draft, Steph, is just you look at who they drafted and you figure not only because that they're rookies, but because of their background, we're going to see leaps and bounds maybe between OTAs and mini camp and mini camp and training camp, because, you know, you got Titus Howard, who was at Alabama state. You got Mac Sharping at Northern Illinois. Kahele Waring has barely played football in his life. And he was at San Diego state. Uh, so you've got these guys that you're expecting uh, maybe some major jumps because they haven't played a lot of uh, big time football, or at least, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of the uh, football that uh, we consider big time as far as college football is concerned. Well, I mean, I think I think that the Texans have put a lot on their plate. Like, you know, they're coming off of a season where Deshaun Watson was hit too much. Like every like everybody has to acknowledge that. OK, so then how did they address that? They got some developmental players that they may need to to rely upon. Right. Well, that puts a lot of pressure on the coaches to coach them up because it's not just a question of, like, are you good enough to be out there? It's like, are you good enough to be consistent against the best players in the league? I mean, they're, it's, it's almost like they're, they're making it more difficult on, them, on themselves. I mean, they can be individually good players, but, you know, each of these players are coming into a very difficult situation. Like, it used to be where I was thinking – you know, in, in developing an offensive line, like, oh, wow, you know, they're bringing in a new left tackle and Dwayne Brown. How can they incorporate him into the offense? And it was a big deal to have one new big time player that they're trying to incorporate. Well, you know, they're trying to incorporate a lot of guys. I mean, it's a very young offense. And, and one of one of the issues is, is like, OK, you know, they have Matt Khalil, but Usually, if you want somebody to be kind of the mentor for the line, you want it to be somebody who has has had a history of success to be a mentor, and they don't have that guy. You mentioned Matt Khalil. Have you figured out what that contract was all about? Because I don't, I didn't mind 
go and grab him. I mean, why not? But I just didn't understand why you had to pay him so much money. Well, I think I think they're trying to. I mean, first of all, if you're left tackle, you're going to get paid something. Um, but I, I think it's in it fairly um, like getting on the field base. Like he had like a, a certain amount of that contract he has to be playing in in order to get those incentives. Right. Yeah. And 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 also. You know, I guess I guess there was some more guaranteed money or locked in like they didn't have to do that uh, or they didn't. I don't know if they had to do it with Khalil, but they they didn't do it with uh, Chantrell Henderson. And I thought they would give a similar contract to Khalil because I, I figured Khalil's coming off a lot of injuries just like Chantrell was. And I don't know. I, I found I just found that that was the most odd thing because I thought, you know, they didn't get crazy stuff and free agency. And, and, and I thought that was the prudent thing to do. I don't know. I mean, I just think that they've, they've gotten themselves in a bad spot and, you know, the, the best approach that they would have taken to this off season was to have a time machine because it's, it, it's inexcusable that there's still this much musical chairs on the offensive line. And O'Brien has been, you know, been with the Texans since 2014. I mean, that's like the thought was, okay, well, maybe he doesn't have his quarterback, but, you know, maybe he'll get the other parts in place, like, you know, the running game and, and the offensive line. And, you know, here we are yet another year where the offensive line may be the, the limiter of the, of the offense. Your biggest concern is, is which position? Is it cornerback or offensive tackle? The whole offensive line, I, you know, I mean, that's that's one of those shot or stab questions. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest issue they have is, you know, they're, they're facing a lot of really good quarterbacks next year. And the strength of schedule is is predicted, you know, to be extremely tough against the Texans, depending on how you calculate it. Like no matter how you calculate it, it's going to be a tough strength of schedule. And that's one of the main reasons why Vegas isn't very um, bullish on the Texans. You know, you you shouldn't be bullish on the Texans if you think that they're going to be facing a, a strong schedule. It's not necessarily something specific to the Texans. It's just that in a parity league, the teams that, face slightly easier schedules, have a greater likelihood to get to the playoffs when it, when it's really, really close. Um, so, yeah, it probably doesn't help that when you're facing a very strong schedule that both your offensive line and your secondary is a bit of, of a question question mark. But, I mean, I, I guess if I had to, to, to say, I would probably trust in Romeo Cornell more than Bill O'Brien and Tim Kelly to as far as figuring out what to do with that offensive line. Failure there isn't just that you give up a touchdown. Failure there is that you get your quarterback hurt. Well, while everybody I'm sure will be distracted by where the offensive line is, I'd like to lay out some maybe underrated factors, four underrated factors that could make a big impact on the offense of this year. And, you know, which of these four do you think could have the biggest impact? Number one would be a healthy Will Fuller. Number two, a healthy Kiki QT. Number three, new quarterback coach Carl Smith, who I think is kind of interesting. And number four, an improved Deshaun Watson, who I think people might forget that he's only played 24 games 
so far in the NFL, not not two full seasons. Well, I mean, Deshaun Watson is just amazing. The thing about OTAs is, yeah, he looks good in OTAs, but his special ability is the, his escapability when you, you can actually hit the quarterback. Like, he has that kind of 10 to 15 percent extra like like you know when when you're watching golf it's not just the good shots that make a great pro golfer it's just when there's errant shots how can you recover and that's that's the ability that Deshaun Watson has is that you know when they're not wearing the red jerseys and they're allowed to be hit he can do some things that not too many people on the planet can do uh, today was kind of an interesting day in that uh, we were able to ask questions of the assistant coaches. So it will be interesting to see how some of those new assistants have an effect on things. Um, I know that you mentioned Carl Smith, and he's a bit of a character. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what he does with Watson. He, he basically said that his marching orders is not to mess him up. Uh, I would also add... Um, It'll be interesting to see what kind of effect that TJ Yates has. You know, he is listed as an offensive assistant. And, and so in some of his comments today, he was talking about his work with the offensive line and, you know, working through some of the protection issues and getting them mentally prepared for what they're, they're being asked to do. Uh, you know, Andre Johnson's out there um, as, as an assistant as well. He's like the special advisor of to the head coach and general manager. So he said that he, he works some with the draft, but he also is working with some of the wide receivers. And I got to say, you know, with, you know, Kiki Kuti is out there. Will Fuller is not out there in OTAs. Uh, and, and it's hard to kind of assess Fuller when, you know, he's not full go yet. The rest of the people out there were just young, young, young. Like it is a young group of wide receivers. Uh, they are probably dropping the ball more than they should at this time of the year because, you know, there's no real pass rush. You know, they're, they're doing drills. And at this time of year, they shouldn't be dropping any balls because they're professional wide receivers. Like a lot of times I'm watching them work and I'm like, yeah, I wish Andre Johnson was actually out there compared to some of the stuff that I'm seeing right now. With Fuller and QT, though, I mean, if those guys are healthy for a full season and that's the biggest if that I could ever, there's an if in capital and we're going to roll it across the sky. But if you get those two guys healthy, I mean, that just gives Deshaun Watson so much more to work with. And it also, you know, QT, when, when he was out there, it gave him that outlet the first time, I think, sure, with Deshaun's career where he's confident, like, if, if I'm in trouble, where is, where is he at? Yeah, you know. I have kind of mixed feelings about that because, you know, I don't like the whole concept of if those guys are healthy. Like, I think that you need to have as much competition as you can have and that you shouldn't assume that especially a player coming off of injury is going to be the same guy as he was before. You know, sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't. And at least at the wide receiver position and the running back position, they seem to be like, all right, we're pretty good with what we have. And, and I'm not sure that that's the way that, that I would make the decision on that. Like, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not meaning to be overly pessimistic about it. I mean, I'd love for them to be healthy the full year, but I mean, I don't see that there's a lot 
um, to suggest that that's going to happen. The biggest thing that you're looking for from Deshaun Watson this year is what? Getting hit less. I asked about that a lot today to you know various assistant coaches because um, you know he can't continue to get hit that much. Though a lot of people see it as only the offensive line. I think sometimes the offense doesn't look like it works well together. You know, that it seems as though that there's a lot of individual effort. Like, I don't think it's an issue of not trying, but I don't think that the offense looks completely at sync between what's happening with the offensive line, what's happening at the tight ends, and um, how long um, Deshaun Watson holds on the ball. And, you know, Watson getting, Watson, did amazing for somebody coming back from what he came back from. And I would expect for him to be better, but you know, it's hard to get consistency when, you know, every year it's the, Hey, who's going to be the best five offensive linemen? Well, I mean, if you don't have consistency at all from year to year, other than I guess your center, I mean, that's going to be difficult. I mean, it's just a difficult situation and they're just asking, they're asking a lot. Yeah, there's no question about that. Uh, I, I, I guess besides the offensive line, the cornerback, should I be worried that backup safety and third string running back did not appear to be a major concern for Brian Gain this offseason? No, you know, I, I think if you're getting too concerned with the third string running back, um, you're already having some big problems. I have to say that uh, I'm kind of – I'm. I'm intrigued with uh, Tashawn Gibson. Uh, I, I think that that actually was was a good pickup. Foreman coming back from a knee injury and just saying, "Okay, I think he's going to be fine," is asking a lot. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like not just that they didn't pick up a veteran running back, and I, and I say third running back, but you're assuming, I guess, if you're the Texans, that Deontay Foreman is a good NFL running back and that you could rely on him, especially coming off, you know, this major injury and you don't know if he's ever going to be the same. And I thought at least they would bring in somebody that was somebody that could take some carries. They brought in some special teams guys and maybe the player that you'd be most excited about that they brought in, which isn't saying much as is Karen Higdon, the undrafted free agent. But otherwise I just thought they would put a little bit more attention to that after you know, having games last year, stuff, and you remember this, where when Lamar Miller went out, it was Alfred Blue, and that's it. They didn't have another option. There's Colleen Gillespie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Right now, we're, we're still talking June, and sometimes the way that they discuss it is, well, you know, other teams are going to be dropping players later on, and, and we can still shop. Now, I think that, at least on the offensive side of the ball in particular, you know, if you claim that your offense is really this complicated, it's nice to get guys into camp early so that you can learn them up versus picking them up later on in, in the summer and then going, okay, we need to, you know, train you up very quickly. I'm just not very high on a lot of the moves that they've done. But, and I know this sounds so negative. I mean, and, and the flip side to this is Deshaun Watson makes you feel like impossible things are possible. Like you can have all these views of, okay, well, this is how you want to structure your offensive line. And maybe you would like a better mix between young and older players. 
And then Deshaun Watson makes you think that it can all work out. But the coaching staff is putting a lot of work on themselves. But like, for example, today, I asked a number of questions to Mike Devlin about the offensive line specifically. And, you know, just, you know, what are they going to do from what they did last year? And he, he, he made it clear that this was something that they looked at a lot, like how much of it was the offensive line, how much of it was tight ends and how much of it was, was Watson and that they're putting a lot of work to make sure that that doesn't happen again. But, you know, we can talk about that in June. And the unfortunate part is by the time that you know that you have a significant problem, the season started because of just the nature of when you start doing real hitting and them shuffling guys around trying to find the best spots. Jadavian Clowney, what's going to happen with him? What, where are we on this? <laughs> That's hard to say. I mean, it is not unusual for somebody who has the franchise tag on him, who thinks, who wants a big, longer deal to go, I am not going to sacrifice my body during, during this time of the year at all because I, all I do is risk injury with no upside. They're in a, in a bad situation that way in that they are clearly a much better team with Clowney. Clowney's knee history makes him an interesting person to try to figure out how to, to structure a deal with. And just, it, it's strange, the whole issue of, okay, is he linebacker, is he defensive end, and how do you pay him? I mean, those are a lot of different issues, and I I would suspect that he does the Dante Robinson approach, where he just shows up when when the season begins. Anything else that uh, you mentioned talking to the assistants? Uh, anything that they said that you found interesting? You know, I'm I, I'm just kind of curious, like have they figured out what they're going to do with Whitney Merciless because he seemed very lost last year and and, and kind of disappeared and. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of stuff with the assistants that I, I, I would be wondering because you, you know, you mentioned it. It's, this is really the only chance you get to talk to 90% of these guys. Well, and part of it is there's very little time in the day for the media sessions. And so the way that they structured it today is whenever they were available, they came into the media room. So you could have like five different conversations going on at the same time. And I am one person. So I clearly didn't hear everything that was being said by everybody. Uh, I, th I think the Whitney Merciless thing, I didn't hear anything specifically today about that, but you're really not going to know how Whitney Merciless is doing until you're, you're seeing things closer to the start of the season. Uh, I think to me, what was the most curious is just this whole idea of, you know, the offensive linemen being versatile and they're going to put the best five on, on the field. Like they're all lockstep. Hey, this is what we need. And I wonder sometimes how much they, you know, they're consistently in saying that and the players are, are you know, will always say, hey, whatever is best for the team. I don't know if they actually believe that, believe that, or if that's just like, hey, we need to say this because this is what the boss man wants. I would hope they learned something after last year that, you know, just because a guy that you think a guy is good doesn't mean you just stick him out on the field in whatever position. Hello, Martinez Rankin. I mean, what was that? 
you do have to value versatility to some degree because rosters are of limited size. They're pulling guys off the field quicker with concussion fears. You know, it's, it's a tough position to play and you don't have a lot of guys on that offensive line who have a long history of like, Hey, you put that guy out there and he's going to play all 16 games and into the playoffs. No problem. You know, cause there's, there are guys, you know, being able to stay healthy is a skill and you don't know that you have that with the guys that you have out there. Like you just don't. In fact, with a number of those guys, you know that you don't have that. Right. So you get why they would be looking at versatility, but on the other side, it looks like they have, a, you know, of their better players. It looks like they're a bunch of tackle bodies, which are tall guys uh, with, you know, they can move some with, you know, some length. Well, those guys are not necessarily the best guys that you would have at guard. Like there are some teams that are very position specific as to what they want in a center, what they want in a guard and what they want in a tackle. And when they think of versatility, it's just, maybe, you know, being able to be swing tackle, right? But just to kind of figure that you're just going to shuffle around the biggest dudes and see which five dudes are the biggest dudes and you just put them on the field. Um, I'm not sure that that is the best way. You know, we live in a very specialized world. You know, let's say you're a, a contractor and you can do a lot of different things, but maybe a designated roofer is better at roofing and a designated floor guy is better at doing floors. Well, I mean, it's not an exact analogy, but I mean, the longer that you've been doing something, the more comfortable you are at doing that thing. And it just, you know, as you're coming into July and August and you're then settling guys into a spot, you know, I, I just, I just, I have a lot of skepticism with that. And I think part of that comes from the old bad years of the offensive line where everybody was trying to figure out how, you know, how do the Texans fix, you know, fix the offensive line and just talking to players about the difficulty of just even doing swing tackle. And now you're asking guys to be able to, Oh, we'll try swing tackle and then also work some at guard. And I mean, I just, I have a hard time thinking that that's the best approach to um, putting young players in that position to succeed. Like, yes, you're giving them opportunities. The more you do, the more you're likely to be able to stay on the field. But at the same time, it's hard to get good at one position. I just, I am, I have a lot of skepticism that this is going to work. So you're telling me if I'm having my house fixed and I need the floor fixed and I need the roof fixed, if I got five guys that are really great at fixing roofs to send all the floor guys home and just have one of the roof guys fix my floor. <laughs> there are people that are good at multiple things. There, there are those people, but you know. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, you mentioned training camp being back in Houston. Any theories on why that they moved it back here? I mean, I, you know, the Texans, I don't know if they really kind of spelled it out too much. And I don't want to speculate on that. I mean, there were pluses and minuses to being there. Uh, I think the biggest minus the first year was, um, you know, hello, Hurricane Harvey, you know, that you've gone that long and then you're not even settled at your house and then the season starts. I mean, the good news with West Virginia is that there's bonding, 
that the temperatures are far cooler and you don't have a lot of the risks of heat injuries and you can push yourself harder because you're not like, if you go like just, you know, if you go running in the heat, you know, versus running in the winter, your heart rate will go up higher when you're running in the, in the summertime, just because you're dealing with the heat. I mean, that's just a physiological fact. So, I mean, that was one of the benefits, but yeah, it's expensive. You don't have your facilities there and the players aren't as settled. So like last year, they actually came back from West Virginia earlier than they did the previous year. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that just it's easier on people not to be doing that. And actually the trend in the league has been to have more camps at the, the locales versus um, kind of the traveling, um, the traveling camps. That, that used to be more common in the NFL, but the trend has been going more towards having it at your home base because it's just easier. And it's eco-friendly too. Let's think about that. <laughs> um, you, you, uh, you're on Steph, you're at Steph Stradley on Twitter. It's cron.com if people want to see the latest. Anything that else you want to promote Texans-wise? Not really. Uh, I'm 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 writing some thoughts up on OTAs as we speak. So um, the link to get to my writing is in my Twitter handle. It's at Steph Stradley on Twitter. Always a pleasure talking with you, Steph. Thanks so much for doing this. Anytime. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.